And we're back. Another episode of Talking Maiden. The podcast of the beast. The reflections of the beast. Part two. Part two. Yeah. We had a lot of fun last time. These are really fun because you you realize it it just drives home how much much my head has been in Iron Maiden for the last three years. It's been talking about Iron Maiden for an hour a week for, you know. I know. Man. So much. We've talked about so much Iron Maiden. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. What kills me is the uh, is the is the like trying to quantify because there's no way to quantify anything because it's so it's like is this better than that? I'm like I don't know. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> I like I feel like I'm swimming in the Fruit Loops. You know, like I'm trying to see which one is is better. You know? I just like the whole discussion around this is cool. I like that. This is awesome. Yeah, you know, it is fun. Well, this in case anyone missed, this is part two, so you should go back and mm. listen to part one. Yeah. This is all a lead up to we're winding the podcast down and now we're going to do yeah. a reflection on every single album, go through them all, talk about them a little bit. And leading up to us after talking with Maiden for three years, our rankings of the Maiden albums, which That's no right. one's going to hold us to because they're not we're not carving them in stone, but we're just, you know. Yeah. that Does that ever bother you? The idea that the rankings will be out there like. You know, as well as I do, we'll be out and someone will be like, you know, oh, you guys, was, this was great and that was great. But I can't believe at the end you put this album above that album when you consider this, that, and the other. And we'll both be like, you're right. Oh, God. We have to do like, another 140 talk, episodes. I'll be like, let me talk to you for an hour a week about Maiden for three years and then we'll see if your rankings stay the same. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, let's get into a beer and then get into these. Into Number of the yes. Beast, our first, uh, the Bruce this era. Is our, yeah, this is our fourth some would say the golden era. <laughs> I think I was high. Um, the, the, uh, what is this? The Ode of Benite? What is this? You say it. You got French. Oh, you, you got Frenchy things. <laughs> Ode de Benite. So this actually means holy water in French. Oh, that's low. Oh, that's low Benite. A devil dressed up as, a, as an angel on the label. Oh, yeah. So this is Seven from po- Unibrew. This is another Quebec brewery. <laughs> I gotta say, man, like, I don't think there's a bad beer out of this brewery. Yeah. They're great. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a fan. They're all pretty high alk, really sweet. I'm really into these beers, though, man. They're so good. Mm. They're really balanced, I think. Anyway, enough talking. I'm gonna play the clip, and let's get into this beer. Do not spend your time worrying about those wasted beers. Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, hold on. My bottle opener didn't work. Oh, there we go. Okay. Miss Q by Nesbitt. <laughs> so I love how on these bottles it says strong ales, like on all of them. 7.7%. 77 Ray Bork, great hockey player. Boston <laughs> Bruin. It tastes like them all. Yeah, delicious. This is good, though. It's got a bit of a sour taste. Yeah, it's a, a bit different. <sighs> you know what? It's, it's very similar to the last one. It's not as different as the band... That approach number of the beast compared to the early years. Okay. That's a nice transition. Into- Great segue, Josh. <laughs> Great segue. Man. <laughs> yeah. okay. Radio school's really paying off. All right. <laughs> number of the beast from 1982. Mm. So we covered number of the beast uh, in episodes 58, 59, 60, and 61. Four hours on number of the beast. You can go back and listen to them if you want to hear us talk about every track in detail in the history of the album. That was around the time when we realized that an album could basically take a month. Yeah, yeah. We got into this one. We're like, we got a lot to talk about. and There's a lot to talk about. Well, it's the arrival of Bruce Dickinson. So Bruce on the scene. Yeah, good old underrated Bruce. <laughs> underrated. You know what? This, 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 this is okay, but it's nowhere near as good as Skunk Works. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so Bruce okay. was in. <laughs> Bruce was in the band Samson. Yeah. I'm giving a brief. We get into this in detail in the Number of the Beast episodes. If you want to go back and listen, but Bruce was in Samson. There's a lot of behind the scenes meetings and auditions while Paul was still in the band. We did the timeline, and there's a lot of overlap there. And Bruce was basically in place and ready to go when Paul left. So Samson's last gig with Dickinson 
was at the Reading Festival of August 1981. So here's a clip of Bruce at his last performance with the band Samson. So that's Reading Festival 1981, and it was at Reading Festival that Rod Smallwood approaches Bruce Dickinson, asks him to audition for Iron Maiden. And according to Mick Wall's book, the official biography of Iron Maiden, Bruce auditions the next day, which would be August 30th, 1981. I'm not sure how accurate that is as far as like the actual next day, but uh, he auditions for Maiden. He obviously gets the gig. Um, this is a clip of Bruce Dickinson's audition tape when he's auditioning for Maiden. Yeah, he gets the gig, and he replaces Paul Diano. Paul Diano's last gig with Iron Maiden uh, was in Copenhagen, Denmark, September 10th, 1981. Um, here's a very short clip of Paul's last time ever singing on stage with Iron Maiden. quality that's pretty bad but uh, that's the last time paul sang with iron maiden dickinson officially joins iron maiden september 26 1981 um october 26 1981 his first show with maiden uh in bologna italy and here's a clip one month after officially joining the band of bruce on stage singing with iron maiden for the first time And the pace of that song is crazy. <laughs> Insane. Insane. So that's the lead up. We kind of got into all that in detail if you want to go back and listen. Um, mm. And that's the lead up to getting Bruce in the band and then they come out with this album. Number of the Beast. So, you know, before we step into the album, I whenever I think about Bruce joining the band, we always talked about uh, Paul's problems and Bruce's ability. Yep. But we, I think we might have touched on it, but I think we kind of glossed over, or at least I'd like to, my reflection on it now is it's really just Steve's ambition, right? He knew him so well. Samson and them were so close. He was in the same place. He saw what Bruce could do and was like, holy. And Maiden was so awesome and so well-formed. And you got this front, front man who, to be honest, didn't have the raw talent that, that Bruce had, not even close. And had trouble beside, which just makes you think, you know. Um, and then you just, like, plug Bruce. It's like an epic move, right? Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think Steve Harris had his eye on Bruce for he a long time. Been. Well, look at what happened with Adrian, right? Yeah. Adrian was in uh, Urchin. They tried to get Adrian in the band a bunch of times before they finally yeah. got him in, right? Like, he could have been in, in Maiden for the first album. But he, yes. you know, he was like, they went with Dennis Stratton be only after Adrian turned them down because he wanted to see if he could make it work with Urchin. That's you know right. what I mean? So I think Steve has his eye on these people and he's just got these long-term plans and he, 
you know, he pulls them in and he pulled Bruce in, replaced Paul. And like Bruce's voice, I think it allowed them to do things that they couldn't do before and kind of unshackled Steve Harris as far as what, you know, songwriting. Like, I think he could pretty much write anything and Bruce could nail it. Like, for example, here's a clip of Bruce on The Prisoner. And this is something that I think, like, maybe Steve Harris had this idea. But, like, Paul Diano would have never been able to do this. Not a prisoner! I'm a free man! And my blood is my own now! Don't care where the past was! I know where I'm going! Not a number! I'm a free man! Yeah, it, amazing. And and it by picking someone with that talent, it puts the pressure back on Steve, and he delivers. But before we go on, I want to say one thing about Bruce. Um, we always talk about it's funny how we talk about Adrian on guitar, and 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 you know, and obviously Dave, and you think like it's almost like it's a skill, but then when we talk about vocals, we talk about like it's natural ability. You know, they're both the same in 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 different ways, and. I think we under like Bruce is such a natural, such a young age that sometimes I don't think people realize technically how much he prepares, how much he paces himself, his work ethic, and I think that that really came through later on when he recovered so quickly from his uh, from his throat issue. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you know? I know people. A lot of people think like, oh, you can either sing or you can't sing, but like, there's a lot to singing. Yeah. It's a it's a skill that you practice and you hone and you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure people that have a great voice, they can go out and blow their voice out pretty quick. But it's a very, especially you look at, like, the touring schedule that Maiden was through. And that's another thing that you said, too, about work ethic is just, like, you have to be an awesome musician to be in Maiden. But, yeah. like, you really need to be able to, like, have that work ethic. And the touring schedule, I think that there's very few musicians who could do, for, go through 40 years of, like, touring with what Iron Maiden went through. I mean, you look at like the World Slavery Tour and any of the tours and you just look at their touring schedule and how grueling it was. It's crazy. That's a huge part totally. of being in Maiden is just being able to, to, it's that dedication. You know what I mean? It's huge. The dedication is a big piece. It, like, you know, we're in our, oh, creeping up on middle age, you know, we're, we're in our early forties yep. and, you know, I've never been a huge Paul Diano fan. I, I've, you know, I love the albums, but like I've, I've always been a Bruce guy, right? I always have, and I always will be. But part of it is, and one of the reasons I don't get so excited by Diano is like, not only did Bruce like, well, Bruce took the chair and took it to a new level. Bruce is objectively a better singer. Bruce is a better person and a harder worker. But like Diano, even though he was doing whatever and he was young, like Diano doesn't, well, you know, the few interviews that I've seen, because I don't go tracking them. Um, he doesn't get on and go, you know what? I should have done this. I should have done that. Like he's even now he's not wise enough to like he, Bruce is such a, you know, I hate, I hate to say it in a summary, but you know, we're here, but I'm going to say it. He's a better, just a better person, a harder worker. And he just, you, Bruce is out there learning to fly, building his own solo albums, his brand on the side, he's doing stuff. And I, you know, I've been critical of that stuff, but he doesn't stop his energy on the stage. Like he just performs like crazy. I mean, he's just world-class. Yeah, I think, yeah. And that goes back to the work ethic. Yeah. Like, Steve Harris and Bruce Dickinson are both kind of, like, freak of nature as far as, like, work ethic. You know what I mean? There's just no stop. Like, Bruce doesn't stop. He always has, like, 10 things on the go. And Steve Harris, I mean, he's got a second band to fill the gaps in the Maiden touring. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's crazy. Yeah. He's just it's nonstop. I think to the detriment of Maiden, but we won't get into that again. <laughs> so Number of the Beast, yeah. yeah. we. I think the only thing we said was Invaders was m maybe a little bit weak, but I I thought it was just a weak chorus. I thought the whole song itself was actually pretty good. I mean, other than the chorus, 
most of that song, I think, is pretty awesome. And we both yeah. were kind of like gangland with a little fillery, but other than that, you know, can, yeah. can't complain about Number of the Beast. I mean, you got Prisoner. <laughs> yeah. Children of the Damned, yeah. Prisoner. 22 Acacia Avenue. Oh, I mean, a great song. Eh, you know, <laughs> it's good. That whole, you know, show with the Harlot thing is, is a little bit tired on me. Number of the Beast, Run to the Hills, yeah. you know. Uh, but Hallowed, Hallowed Be That Name. I mean, you know, arguably some of the best... Some of the best tracks ever. Like they rank yeah. highly on on any list of. of I think you would tracks. have to put Hallow- anyone would have to put Hallowood be thy name in their running for one of the best all time Maiden tracks. Do you think? If they don't put it in their top ten, then I really don't. You know, I don't. I don't. It's it's like everything that's great about Maiden. Everything that's great: vocals, yeah. pacing, solos, story, theme, and the way awesome. it builds. Oh, that's a classic. You know what? Children of the Damned, I think. I would put Children of the Damned. I would call it underrated. Not that people, like, everyone loves it, but I think Children of the Damned is as much of an epic as Hell Would Be Thy Name. Yeah, Children of the Damned, though, suffered by what you were talking about, I think, previously, but Run to the Hills. It was the last episode. Um, Children of the Damned's a bit repetitive. Every time you hear it, you're like, you just think about that. See, I don't find it to be too repetitive. Well, Hallowood is if Children of the Damned is. Hallowood is such a journey. Yeah, but so is Children of the Damned. I don't know. That's something to talk about when we, you know, wrap up and rank the albums, I guess. But uh, I think it's it's up there as one of the best Maiden epics. Yeah. Fair enough. I just realized I've been saying Hallowed with three syllables again for some reason. <laughs> I have no idea why I do that. Anyway, so many awesome tracks on this album. And The Prisoner, I mean, that's the other thing too. This is the first album with Adrian Smith where he contributes in the writing. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. another reason that this album is like a big step for Maiden. I mean, he comes in with these like crunchy riffs, like in The Prisoner. It's a cool riff. And that's like a typical Adrian kind of catchy, crunchy rock riff. You know what I mean? Very much. And very it's much. a big influence on Maiden from this point on. Yeah. 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 He's as vital as almost anyone. Yeah. You know? And Clive Burr on this album too. Like this is the last Clive Burr album. And yeah. I mean, you can't talk about this album without at least mentioning Clive Burr and the feel that he gives to these songs and Maiden kind of after this album, there is a little bit of a different feel to the drumming. Um, here's a clip of him playing on run to the Hills and 
This is like pure Clive Burr. Yeah, and when we did this album, I think we uh, we compared Nico and Clive's drumming on live versions of Hallowed Be Thy Name. I think we played clips back and forth and kind of analyzed it a bit. So if you want to go back and listen to that uh, in more detail, you can listen to those episodes. Um, but yeah, we talked about the drumming a bit, and uh, and we kind of debated the Gangland versus Total Eclipse choice because... You know, it was a toss-up which one of those was going to get on the album. And the other one was going to be the B-side to Run to the Hills. And they went with Gangland, which I thought was a good idea. Because it keeps the pace up. You kind of thought Total Eclipse is a better idea. Yep. And Gangland, also a uh, Clive Burr writing credit. His only writing credit on a Maiden song. So, uh... I, I, I've given a lot of thought to this. Yeah. So, I, I want to say these things. Um... You know, and I, I I played a bit of drums. I've always been 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 partial to it. Um, the most important judge of the quality of a drummer is your bass player, right? And he happens to be the person making the decisions. And we've argued that uh, Nico at various stages could be a bit busy, and his timing could be a bit accelerated. And remember, we talked about I think at various stages about Adrian being frustrated. Um, you know, and, and the whole light system he has set up at shows. And you can understand that getting pumped up. Not an issue that Burr had as much. Yeah. I, I would say the Power Slave Tour and beyond that, you know, the Rock and Rio. That's when these these things, when they started to go global. Um, more so. They were so big when Burr was playing, no question. Um, for me, if you want to debate whether or not, because when people debate that, they almost like, almost imply that Nick, Nick was a little bit more erratic, more 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 busy as a drummer. I don't know about his that. Pacing. I no, think. Yeah, okay. so let me finish my okay. thought. And that's not critical of Burr, who has faults. I, I would argue that 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 Nico is, is is a far better drummer based on the body of works, no question. But also, I just trust Harris to have made that right decision. Oh Because yeah. he's the person who's making it. He's also he's also writing and driving the rhythm section. So to me, uh, I have a lot of faith. I don't think it's a debate, but I think what you were doing there of giving Clyper his due, I think is fair. Yeah. Well, he gives Maiden a cool feel that yeah. that it, the feel changes. It's not like they lose something. It just it's kind of different after Nico joins. Maybe you could say it's better, but it's definitely different. Yeah. And again, we never got to hear Clyber play on these like peace of mind, power slave songs. So. You know, it's it's one of those debates that'll never be settled. I think Nico probably is a better drummer. I don't know. I guess it's personal taste. And it's a million times better off the stage. Nico is a character. He is oh, that's so true too. Yeah. important to the maiden community. Yep. He is larger than life physically and, you know, metaphorically. He's just like awesome. Uh he's the guy he like you know, mission to Ari, the the kickoff of a matter of life and death. I mean, where was it? Uh, it was we were talking about a track where he he was the guy who was doing the fade out, and we, it was it was actually on this album. He's he's everywhere, as they just love him. He's gregarious. Yeah, he's a good character for Maiden. Yeah, he adds that kind he's of uh, that side to Maiden that wasn't there before, which is like the the kind of goofy fun side. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know what? Um, if if you were to be critical of them from a character perspective, which I'm not trying to be because they're, they're all a little bit like Maiden, especially in your younger years, they're a little bit geeky in the sense of like, they're kind of guitar geeky. Like they're like not Zeppelin. They're not just going balls to the wall, crazy, you know, drug tripping. Like, like they're pretty technically they're into it. Like you could see, you could see uh, Adrian, you could see Harris, you could see Dave, you can see them just geeking out on music big time. They're, they're very much your ilk. You can understand that. Uh, but at the same time, from a band perspective, you can see them kind of hiding away. They loved 
Um, you know, you saw in the early days with Paul, uh, especially in the BBC thing where he was where he was really active in the front on uh, the BBC recording. But the uh, when when they started to go to the bigger crowds and they had Bruce, you know, to drive the stage presence, and then all of a sudden you had, of course, Nico. Not so much in the stage because he's kind of buried away, but around that, getting the crowd, getting the getting the crew going. Any type of documentary films always being larger in life. He rounds them out in an incredibly valuable way. Yeah, it's got to be fun to have a Nico in your band. Oh, man, I want to <laughs> hang out with the guy. Every time I see him, I'm like, you just know he's the kind of guy that puts his arm around. He's like, hey, man, how are we doing? we going to have a beer or whatever? And you just feel like, wow. He's just, you can tell he's 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 got charisma with the yin-yang. Yeah. Well, that's more uh, discussion for peace of mind, which we're coming up to. But uh, as far as Number of the Beast, we've got to mention, I'll go through this quick. We've got to mention the title track with one of Steve Harris's most iconic bass riffs. with really, really classic, iconic Iron Maiden solo. And then you have Bruce Dickinson vocals like on fire for this title track. It has everything in one track that makes Maiden Maiden. It's a, a, a real classic. Three out of ten for me. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So we'll move on to Peace of Mind, but I just want to also mention Run to the Hills, one of Maiden's most iconic songs. Amazing. Um, it's got that Maiden gallop. And Bruce sounds amazing on that track, too. It's, you know, his first album with the band, and he just knocks it out of the park. Run for your life. We went through it. Classic album, classic album cover, great flow, one of the best album closers in the Maiden catalog. You know, you got Run to the Hills and Beast are two of the most iconic Iron Maiden songs all on this album. Uh, this one's truly a classic. Nesbitt, I'd, I'd just, before we move on to Peace of Mind, I'd just like to say, for all those diehard Bruce fans out there, the people that love Skunk Works, Tattoo yep. Millionaire, Balls to Picasso, you know, the, the diehard Bruce fans, they should dig back a little bit and dig into this little unknown album, Number of the Beast, and see when he joined this band. It was still forming, but pretty good <laughs> stuff in there. If you like Skunk Works, you might like Number of the Beast. You just might, you just might <laughs> like it. We all get your point. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. We already talked about the change in drummers a bit. Yeah. But uh, Peace of Mind uh, from 1983. Yeah. Almost called the album Food for Thought. And it's an, they went with Peace of Mind. Amazing follow-up for Number of the Beast. And I think this is Maiden starting their run of classic albums with Beast into Power Slave, right? And, I mean, this is still a change-up in the band. This mm. is where Nico comes in. So you have a change-up in the lineup every album so far. You know, four albums, four different lineups. That's right. We did a really deep dive on the drummer replacement and analyzed all the different stories and kind of figured out Nico was basically on retainer when Clive started to have issues. And Clive was given a few chances and Nico That's was right. kind of ready to jump in immediately when Clive was let go. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about that in those episodes. 
Peace of Mind, which we didn't do too long ago. Uh, episode 106, 107, 108, 109, and 110. So that was five hours on Peace of Mind. Yeah, so if you want to hear more mm. detail, you can go back and listen to those episodes. As far as, like, right now doing a brief kind of reflection on all that, Josh, I know you love this album. It's Oh, well, okay. First off, what's probably my favorite track of all time. Oh, yeah, Flight yeah. Flight Icarus, right? Hell of be the name. I just love Flight Icarus so much because it's just, like, everything that's great about Maiden jammed up in, like, a little tiny pack. Like, people say, like, oh, she'll run to the hills. Like, run to the hills has actually kind of got some, you know, some questionable concepts by now <laughs> standards. Icarus is just this amazing story. It's like, and it's, yeah, well, Bruce is just hammering it. That's and the thing. Uh, Bruce's, uh, in there, Bruce's right? vocals on Flight of Icarus are, you know, we highlighted those. That's one of the highlights of this album, is that song. Great track. Okay, yeah. Nesbitt, first off, first off, you're going <laughs> to play right. that at my funeral. And secondly, on my on my tombstone, it's going to be, he died with his boots on. Remember that? So, look, that's the third track. We're Eagles right. Dare. So we're, okay. So let's, Revelations. Let's, okay. Wait now. Okay. Just let me, let me sum this up. Then Flight of Icarus. Then Die With Your Boots On, which is... The weakest track on that side, it and is Die amazing. With Your Boots On, is amazing to the point where I've turned it into a saying that I say to people, which is like, hey, buddy, Die With Your Boots On, which is awesome. So did it flip it over. Trooper, Still Life, which is probably one of the yep. best best tracks Maiden has. Like, you could put it in your top of anything. Quest for Fire, which some people, I love it, love it. Sun and Steel and Tatema Land, okay. Two eight slash nines out of ten. They had to. They had to. They had to. They had to ease it back so that they could save some of your money for future albums. That's all. <laughs> like this album is amazing. Yeah, there's not really a weak track on here. I mean, Quest for Fire. I know some people don't like. Um, I think it's that lyric about the dinosaurs that people find cheesy. But I mean, you know, other than that one line, I think it's a decent song. I mean, Bruce is a little shrill at times, but like it's got some good guitar solos and guitar playing on it. Other than that one line about the dinosaurs, it's a pretty solid song. Yeah. You know what I mean? And other than that, like, To Tame a Land is no Hallowed, um, but it's really great. And Sun and Steel, I think, is great. Still Life, I fell in love with Still Life when we talked about this album. So that was one of the songs where I was, I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good song. And then when we did these a- album episodes on Peace of Mind, 
when we talked about yeah. Still Life and I, we really dug into it, I couldn't believe how much I loved the song. Like it jumped way up into my one of my favorite Maiden songs. Totally underrated. Like this is, yes, to me, a completely underrated Iron Maiden song. It's so cool. It's a cool concept. It's a cool story. The other song that jumped up, I think my top 10 all time, was not in my top 10 of all time until we broke down Revelations. Revelations, man. It's one of my top 10 Maiden songs, and it wasn't until we did those albums, and I really got a new appreciation for it. Yeah, the lyrics in that. I remember we broke down the lyrics when we did it. It was amazing. But yeah. even then, we, we kind of dove right in because we got a little excited, but Where Eagles Dare, the, the whole thing that was so awesome, not, not to mention that that's just an epic track. Uh, it fits all the themes, you know, it's, you, know you can guarantee it's like Bruce's, uh, Bruce's Wet Dream. Um <laughs> And it also starts out with just an absolute screamer from Nico, right? Yeah, the new drummer comes out. It's like, here's the new drummer. He's making a statement with this first song on this first album. And yeah, that's that's just such a great song. Remember seeing that multiple times on the Legacy of the Beast show? That was a highlight of the show, man. That was insanely good. Amazing. I'm going to give a little ranking, a small little ranking spoiler. Okay. Peace of mind to this point, for me, is the best album they've ever done. If you're at this stage... Best album. I'm not putting any one of them behind it ahead of Peace of Mind. Love Number of the Beast. Killers, Iron Maiden, love it. Peace of Mind is better than all three of them. Hands down in my mind. Not even close. It's perfection. It's not the best album. Maybe. (laughs) It is super solid. And I had a total new appreciation for this album. Yeah, after we talked about it. And we didn't even talk about The Trooper. Like, it's got The Trooper on it. It's probably the most maideny song. It's got, like, the most iconic trooper eddie you know the union jack the riffs dual guitar harmonies all the way through the gallop it's about a battle i mean when a lot of people think of maiden they think of the gallop and this is exactly what they're thinking of And like guitar harmonies are such a huge part of what Maiden is known for. And they're like all over the place in this song. But yeah, the Trooper, man, it's like, it's the Iron Maiden song. You know what I mean? I agree. It's, it's awesome. So there's not a weak track on this whole album. Even Quest for Fire, other than some questionable lyrics, which I still think it's a, it's a fun song. It's great. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, but peace of mind, yeah. 
really, really, really. Do we awesome. truly know if dinosaurs weren't roaming the earth? I mean, do we really know? <laughs> I don't know. Next album after Peace of Mind is the classic Power Slave. I am Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Talking Maiden, the podcast of the beast, possibly the best podcast in the world. Power Slave, the fifth album, uh, came out in 84. So this is the first consecutive yeah. album with a stable lineup. Yeah, hugely underrated, but I think it's decent. Underrated, you think? Hugely underrated. Uh, there's no kidding. weaknesses on this album. Uh, no. I, there was none. You know what I no. mean? It's no. It's just front to back a classic album. Uh, a lot of people's favorite Maiden album. Uh, we'll have to get into our rankings to see if, I, if we put it, you know. It's I up know. there, but we'll see. I know. If you, the the worst the worst if you do not love this, the worst thing you can do is Kate Upton bad hair day. I mean this is <laughs> this is perfection start to finish. I mean there's not a weak spot on this on this album. And one of oh, Ace's High is one of the best openers and one of the best live openers I think of all time. Yes. That's a Maiden classic, man. That's got to be one of their best openers of all time. It is. And they yeah. proved it because how many times did they play that opener live? Yeah, it's so great. Uh, t- two Minutes to Midnight, too. It's another great classic Adrian Rocker. Like, another hit off this album. Like, Ace is High into Two Minutes to Midnight. You know? And we talked about that riff because people were saying that, you know, it came from a White Spirit song or it came from... We played a compilation of that riff from... A whole bunch of different songs. I think it's just a, a common riff, but I mean, the song itself, you know, it's a classic Maiden. Everyone would agree Two Minutes to Midnight is one of Maiden's, you know, biggest hits. The one thing that we shone a light on is the Two Minutes to Midnight has the bass. Everyone pays attention to that riff. The bass playing underneath by Steve Harris is really cr- cool. And, mm. you know, I'd like to give that some attention. <laughs> It has awesome lyrics, a kind of a cool but cheesy video. It's a, yep. Two Minutes is a classic. Duelist. I love The Duelist. Super underrated. Yeah. You know, uh, I watched the movie The Duelist in preparation for doing that album. Um, <laughs> Time well spent. <laughs> yeah. It was actually pretty good. Mm. And Power Slave, the title track. Like, how awesome is Power Slave? Power Slave, like, you... We've really pointed out how awesome the rhythm section on that song is. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's another and they rhyme, classic. obviously. Oh, obviously. Um, 
Amazing. Yeah. The thing about Power Slave is like if you actually break it down track by track when you get into Lost for Words, you know, Flash of the Blade, Duelist, Back in the Village, um, you might look at them and say in some ways on a track by track basis it doesn't hold up with peace of mind. You could even make the argument with, with um, Number of the Beast. Maybe even yeah, Iron maybe, Man. Maybe, maybe. No, 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 okay. no. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not knocking it. I still think it's one of the best albums. Well, what I love about it is that they were at a stage where they were going to these mega stadiums. Like they were at the the whole other level. And when you're about to do that, you know, so many bands just try and match the last album, try and do something good, hope they punt in the right direction. And I mean, this is the early 80s. There's not a huge body of work to play from. I mean, really, when we when, when I make a statement like that, I'm thinking about the 90s and stuff that came later than them. They just, this album was just so grand. Like Ace is High in Two Minutes a Minute, like you said, the start and the way that kicks off that album, that went so well to that to that to that scale. That yeah, all of a sudden yeah. they set that tour up with these amazing Aces High, Two Minutes to Midnight, you know, Power Slave Rhyme. And then guess what? They got all of the best of their past body work, which at that stage was big enough to get them to that level. And they had this amazing tour set list. That's what came out of Power Slave. Yeah. It's like from then on, there was no going back. Right. Before that, like everything looked like an early year set list, but just because the body of work was so limited. But this was the level at which they, yeah, they took it to a new level. Yeah. And that's why yeah. Live After Death is like, exactly one of the most classic live albums I think of all time. The set list on that is crazy. Like amazing. you said, it's, it's Power Slave based with like all the hits from the older song, older albums. It's just amazing. But this album's great. Bruce is a machine on this whole album. Like his voice, you know, I mean, I know I said that. I start saying that at Number of the Beast and, you know, I don't think I stopped yeah. saying it until you hit No Prayer. But it's really amazing how strong Bruce's singing is on this. And in my last hour, I'm a slave to the power of death. Slave to the power. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's it's Bruce just he's a machine on this album. The solos on all these songs are really memorable. There's a good yeah. mix too of like rockers, proggy stuff, epics. You know, it's got one of the best openers in Aces High and one of the best closers in rhyme. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it's hard to top this album. I think this is front to back just a, a straight up slab of classic metal. I'd agree. It's hard to Do you criticize. Think- it's it's very hard to criticize. And, you know, it's so defining of who Maiden are that to criticize it would be that you want Maiden to be something they aren't. Or, you know, this is them, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, um, sometimes you have to look at it like a painting and say this is this is what they are. And uh, I think this really defines it. It's their peak. It's their step up to the next level. And they were amazing at it. Um, do you think this is some of Bruce's best work? Yeah, well, his his vocal performance on all these songs is great. I mean... Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Then down and falls comes the rain. I mean, yeah. uh, he's amazing. So yeah, Bruce is. I think Bruce is just at a, a crazy, amazing, consistent, awesome level. Yeah, the band is it, firing on all cylinders in 1984. It it might be the seven point seven percent beer speaking, but I am <laughs> going to say that uh, I feel like this is, you know, peace of mind, and uh, you know he's he's uh, in number of the beasts. He's amazing in them. This is where he's like, he's Bruce. He's starting to just go there, and for me, he just keeps it going to Seventh Son, and then he regains it in the new era. And I think, if anything, from a technical perspective, from here on out, Bruce only gets better with singing. Like, even though he's he's aged, like he's gotten technically so good. And I think this is where it started. Um, even though, in some cases, my one downside with his vocals on this album is that it almost feels like it's so intense. It's almost like it's forced. It's almost like he's just trying to. That not 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 that that's negative, uh, but it's just I feel like he goes so hard at it. 
Whereas later on, he becomes so efficient and just so so grandiose. So I think this is like the start of, of you know, well, you can't discount the last two albums. I just find like Harry's just at such a level. I love it. It's funny, though, we're talking about like bands, you know, at this album, they were this and then this album, they were peaked and then they were at another level on this album. You, you forget that, like, they had an album every year. You know what I mean? Up till, yeah. you know, Seventh Son, there's a little gap there. But, I mean, Number of the Beast, 82, Peace of Mind, 83, Power Slave, 84. Like, the, the having three albums that are that good in three years. But we're talking about it like there are these phases. You know what I mean? Like, that's a very short period. It It, it is in one way. But yeah. I, it, it, it takes me from, like... You know, I was 17, I left home, I went to university, four years later I had a degree, you know, when I was 18 I got arrested by the cops for drinking in the open, by the end I had my degree, I went to grad school, (laughs) two years later I graduate, then I work a job, 24 I buy a house, like, you know, seven years I went from the guy trying to hide beer in his pants to a homeowner, like, you know what I mean, like these guys, like, while that's a year, a year, a year, it's not like a year now, Nesbitt. No, That's I know. Like a and a lot of those old then. bands, you look at these old bands from like the 70s and the 80s and you look at their albums yeah. and you're like, how? How did they put that much material out that quick yeah. at such a huge you know, quality, such a high yeah. quality? The quality is insane. And then sometimes I think we put too much emphasis on like digging into it. You're like, oh, this this book and this and that. And that. They were 20. Like, yeah. like, what were they? They weren't sitting around going, Aristotle thought this and someone else thought that. You know what we should do? We should put a, a riddle inside a riddle inside a riddle so that people on a podcast 40 years from now can unpack it. Like, they were literally like, dragons are cool. Let's write a song about dragons. You know, like, there is kind of that aspect to it, too, which I think is, it. it's just one of these situations where, you know, and, and I referenced it, I think, previously. Obviously, I'm a huge sports fan. The Michael Jordan doc, you know, I was watching Tiger Woods stuff. I watched my Leafs. Like, you could be 22, 23, potting in crazy goals, hitting crazy shots, and then all of a sudden you're 50 and you're looking back on it and going, yeah, it just happened so fast. Yeah. And they're just at this period where they're producing greatness, and that's why their sustained efforts later on after Brave New World are so amazing, because they kind of went in a bunch of different ways, yet they captured what mattered, but they weren't trying to recreate and be 20, you know? That's why we can get into that later. It, it's just such a, a blur. I mean, how do you even remember this stuff? Yeah. What Power Slave we're talking about? What was it? One hundred ninety-eight, one hundred eighty-nine, or one hundred ninety-two shows? You had you, we had we had debated. Oh, the and world the, slavery that, tour. Yeah, it's you could you yeah. like they played gigs with more people than we've ever met in our lives in the in the room in that one night, and they can't even remember it because there were so many that year. Yeah, I know. Like the whole eighty-two to like, you know, eighty-eight, 88 to Maiden Insanity. That must have went by in a blink of an eye. There's so much going on. It's crazy. I know. Anyway, Power Slave, we both loved, in case you couldn't tell. Yes. I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. (laughs) And then next, from 1986, Somewhere in Time. Um, First album to use guitar synth. So there's there's that, right? Yeah. That's a big thing. Uh, The cover art's amazing. Um. One of the things, yeah, like you were saying, 189 shows, 331 days, the World Slavery Tour. Like, coming off of that tour, they were kind of burnt out from the road. And that's what we kind of got into. And that was one of the main things I took away from this album was Bruce has no writing credits on this. Adrian really steps up and has, like, Wasted Years and Stranger in a Strange Land, which are the two singles off this album, are Adrian songs. Yeah, he's amazing. So, yeah, and two of the best songs, like... Stranger in a Strange Land is, it's up there with one of Maiden's, I don't know if people count this one as an epic, but it's very epic. It's one of the best songs on this album for sure. And it's, you know, 100% credited to Adrian Smith.
Love that song. And another thing to note, as far as like Adrian, more than pulling his weight on this album, all the B-sides. So Reach Out, Juanita, Sheriff of Huddersfield, and That Girl. They're all Adrian songs. Like, well, when I say they're Adrian songs, you know, they were brought in by Adrian. You know, one is based on an urchin song. There's Dave Cole. I don't really want to get into the whole entire population of Hackney. But they're Adrian's friends that he jams with, which would later go on some of them to be an ASAP. It's complicated. We got into it, if you want to hear the complete history, we got into it when we did the Summer in Time episodes. But they're, Adrian's responsible for all these B-sides, and he even sings one of the B-sides, Reach Out. It's really cool to hear Adrian sing on a Maiden track and Bruce doing backup vocals, yeah. which is kind of cool. But Ru- Adrian really stepped up with like his songwriting and coming in with those B-sides. Absolutely. And he, and he writes the key tracks. Like he's got Wasted Years, Sea of Madness, um, Stranger in a Strange Land. I mean, he's, he's excellent in this. The one thing that I love about Wasted Years, and I, if you remember, it was, um, I think it was in the encore of the Book of Souls tour, which we did. Um, our three shows we saw out there, amazing. But what what I love about it, and what always surprises me, is they had the foresight to write that song at such a young age. Yeah, but they did a lot of living in those, you know, in those year, years leading up to. They did, album. but this is what, this is what year eighty six. They're like twenty six yeah. or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, thirty. So uh, the wasted years concept. I get that. I get it. They understand the concept. But it's such a great track to age with the Maiden fan base. And it's just, it's gained yeah, such, true. it's so amazing. When you play that, like, no one's listening to that song like Alexander the Great, right? They're listening to that song and going, that's us. Yeah, you really you connect. connect I don't connect with, with Alexander yeah. the Great. I don't connect with, like, To yeah. Tame a Land. But you hear the lyrics to Wasted Years, and I really can, you know, and everyone totally. can really connect to them. And Adrian's vocals, like... We played Reach Out, but we also another thing we did is spotlight how great Adrian's background vocals are on that song. So understand the wasted time I was searching for those wasted years. Face up, make you stand and realize you're. Which is really cool. And he, I mean, Bruce's vocals on the song are great too. But I mean, Adrian's background vocals, I think, add a lot to what Bruce is doing. Yes, big time. So understand the wasted time always searching for those wasted years. Face up, make it stand. pretty cool like bruce's vocals wouldn't sound nearly as good without the background vocals and there's something about having adrian on there that Amazing. i love so wasted yeah. years for me and blood brothers are the two you know they're the two songs for the maiden fan base trooper is the theme song yeah. under the hills is well known blood brothers and wasted years you got a lot of people that are nostalgic <laughs> yeah. and in love with their friends and the, the, you can't you can't lose like <laughs> I want, and we heard both of it on Book of Souls, uh, and I want it everywhere. <laughs> Every time I want those two tracks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, caught somewhere in time, awesome. Wasted years, like you said, yeah. Sea of Madness. Heaven Can Wait Excellent. is another great yeah. song. I love Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. Some people say it's repetitive, but I love that yeah. song. I love it. And Stranger in a Strange Land, man, like, it's yeah. just so great. Deja yeah. Vu. I think that's very underrated. Me and you both, I think, came to love that song while we did those episodes. Yeah. 
good cheesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Alexander the Great, it's a great epic. It's, you know, the lyrics are a bit cheesy. Like you said, they're a bit like, I always said they're like reading a Wikipedia entry. But the music music behind it is just like really great. It is an and epic. Let's, it is, it is. And But let's not forget... He paved the way for Christianity. And died of fever in Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That is the weak spot. The funny thing is uh, we did two episodes on that whole album. Episode number six and number seven. So that was a long oh. time ago. It's the first album we covered. And we only did two episodes. And I think they were like less than an hour each. There was two episodes that took albums and drastically elevated them in my mind. Now, there was a lot of episodes that elevated albums in my mind. But these two just flicked a switch. Yep. One was this one, and the other one was Dance to Death. I was going to say the exact same, too. Yeah. Yeah. This one really, little... really came up. Like, I yeah. loved all the songs on it, but then when I thought about it as an album, I was like, Somewhere in Time has all these songs on it. Yeah. Even, like, Deja Vu and, like, Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, which are the lesser known, and Sea of Madness. Like, mm. they're awesome songs. They're so good. So good. Like, if Maiden comes out with a new album and it has a song as good as Deja Vu or Sea of Madness on it, I'm going to be like, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so great. It's excellent. <laughs> We're fanboying out on Iron Maiden. I love it. Yeah. Fantastic album. No question. Um, this is the golden age. You know, Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, Summertime. Golden age. Yep. But it only gets better from here, Nesbitt. For one album <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to then wait till the next uh, next week to yes, cover that one the, yeah then it's in the tank yeah the next the next episode is the end of the golden era the golden shower and then <laughs> we go into the period of the dark ages yeah they're not that dark <laughs> they're, no but i mean relatively for maiden i mean yeah. you know it's the kate upton really it's when she got a perm <laughs> Think so, how long uh, we've been talking about these albums. It's crazy. I know. It's funny. We've been talking about, yeah, months and months and months and hours and hours. Uh, I think by the time we're done, we're going to have 150 hours of us talking about Iron Maiden. Oh, wow. I don't think I've talked 150 hours about anything. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's been a long haul. So next week, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Seventh Son of a Seventh Son uh, next we'll week. we'll get into a couple more albums after that. I like that it's fun. It's fun to go back after we spent so much time talking about Maiden to kind of, before we wrap up the podcast, to go back and like kind of look at, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's cool to kind of dwell for a second on how our opinions on these albums changed after spending so much time analyzing them. Exactly. I mean, really all we can do is highlight stuff people should love because the truth is, is that Maiden are just awesome. And, you know, all the albums are good. Even the bad ones are better than most other bands' albums. <laughs> you know, like uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade out a a no prayer for a skunk works. The skunk works jokes are getting old. <laughs> They're getting old. They're getting old. Getting, the emails. Josh is like, I'm going to go to my uh, to my tattooed millionaire material. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going back. I'm going to the balls to Picasso. I know there's an album you don't like, or maybe two. You know, or or you wouldn't put. But even the ones the I, that standards. you're saying I don't like. Yeah. I really, really like a lot of them. Yeah, relatively, yeah. yeah. Like, my my 12th album on my list is an album that I've literally said before is my favorite album. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so crazy. that's how good Maiden is and how much you change based on your... Like, my 12th album, I'm like, this could be the best album. Yeah. They're that good. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to... You could you could get drunk and listen to Peace of Mind or Power Slave, or Summer in Time, or Seventh Sun. And depending on the mood you're in, the order you listen to, and how you rocked out, any one of those could be the best. Yeah. So get us on wherever now. Well, if you don't know by now, we're in the wrap-up too late. We're not We're not spitting out any details. Google Talking Maiden. Uh, Google Best Iron Maiden Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Google that. Google that. And then, uh, and then send us an email. Yep, send us emails. Then, Let uh, us know what you think. Uh, yeah. We're going to do... Uh, we're, Coming to the end now, so the end of this phase of the podcast. If you want to get in contact with us or you want something mentioned on the podcast, now's the time to get it in. So anyway, you know where to find us. We're going to keep breaking them down on the on the, uh, on the the wind down here, on the reflections of the beast. So I hope you enjoy. Until next time, up the irons, down the hops. Down the hops.